0: Amen. Good morning. morning. Welcome to Grace. If y'all stand, let's sing together to our God. It you in the evening It you when I'm younger when I'm born It brings you when I'm laughing It you in the am grieving It you to every season of the soul You won't see how much you're worth Your power, your might, your endless love Surely we would never see where is you? Everything night, everything night, everything that has the free. Everything night, everything night, everything that has the free. Join in with the angels Raising you forever and a day Praise you on the earth now Join in with creation Calling all the nations to your praise, Sing it We could see how much you're worth Your power, your might, your endless love But surely they would never cease to praise. great Everything that has that brings the Everything that everything that, everything that has that you up. has been reborn, his love endures forever, sing it, sing praise, sing praise, sing praise, sing praise. Sing praise, forever God is faithful, forever God is strong. Forever. God is with us forever, 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 forever. Right, from the rising to the setting, sing it out. From the rising to the setting sun, his love endures forever. And by the grace of God we will carry on love endures forever. See grace, see grace, see grace, Forever God is faithful. Forever God is strong. Forever God is with us. Forever and never created Forever God is faithful Forever God is for Forever God is with us Forever and never
1: with me, we're gonna enter a time of confession before the Lord as I read God's word from first John. This is the message we've heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we continue to walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we come this morning confessing that you are a mighty, incredible God, that you are light. And in you there is no darkness at all. We also come as a people that confess that there's often much darkness in us. Your word says that if we say that we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and that we lie and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, if we agree with you that we are sinners, that we need you, then you are faithful and just to cleanse us from our sin, to forgive us, to justify us, to make us right before you. And so we come this morning not only confessing how great you are, not only celebrating and enjoying the grace of music, The mighty God of the universe, but we also come celebrating that you're forgiving God, that although we sin, you forgive and you draw us back to yourself. So as we continue to worship, Lord, help us to worship in light of your grace. May we continue to transform our hearts that we would fall more and more deeply in love with you. We pray in Jesus' name.
0: How deep the Father's love is. See, it was a His Yeah Morning, your mercies are new. Every morning, Your mercy falls over me. Every morning, Your mercies are new. Every morning, Your mercy falls over me. Singing, every morning, Your mercies are is our it's Every morning, you're For Well, let's just sing that as a church. Every morning your mercies are new. Every morning your mercies are new. Every morning your mercy falls over me. Every morning your mercies are new. Every morning your mercy. we come this morning and we thank you for your goodness to us. God, your mercies. Lord, we thank you that um, God, you have called us your children. God, brought us to yourself. Lord, I pray that um, Lord, you'll help us to live out the grace that has been given to us. God, help us to listen to your word, God. We pray that be an active part of our lives and every day God help us to listen now it's your name I pray, Amen I've
1: had people ask me why they couldn't find that song on iTunes that is one that Chris wrote so we're very thankful to have someone gifted like he is, thanks man for sharing with us If you have Windows Movie Maker, you can splice it off of the service MP3 on the website. Make your own little iTunes file that way. I think he wrote it when he was like 12, too, didn't he? Like, maybe in college. Anyway, I love that song. Appreciate you sharing. Um, if you can open your Bibles to 2 Timothy. We're in 2 Timothy. We're continuing a series that we started a while back. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some under the chairs that you can use. And we're on page 995. And those little black Bibles under the chairs. Open up to 995. We've been uh, calling this series Carry On. And what we looked at in Titus uh, was the idea of building this counterculture, this this new city within our cities, wherever we may live, based on God's grace. Based on the truth of who God is instead of based on uh, the lies that we originally fell for uh, in the garden where Adam and Eve fell for the lie of the serpent that said, You don't need God. It'd be better to be your own God, to go your own way, to do life on your own. And we've seen, as we've looked back over thousands of years of world history, that that has not worked out. That idea has not worked at all. And so we're called now to build a new culture, a counterculture based on God's grace. And in 2 Timothy, so we saw that in Titus, build build this new culture, right? And in 2 Timothy now, Paul is saying, it's it's his last book, he's about to die, he's telling Timothy, keep it going. Don't just let it die. Don't just let there be the church in Ephesus and the church in Crete and the church in Antioch. Keep it going. Spread that throughout the world. And so there's this push that Paul keeps calling Timothy to, to keep driving, to keep pushing it out, to keep spreading that gospel, to keep sharing it with others, to let it carry on to the next generation. And that's the call that we have as a church as well. Today we're specifically looking at how part of that call is the call to share in suffering. Uh, the picture we found this morning, I don't know if you've seen the, the movie, The Passion of Christ, but that's a scene from that movie we stole, um, just that picture of Jesus praying in the garden, praying that God, if it be his will, to take the cup from him. If it's your will, God, let this cup pass from me. He knew the suffering that he was going into, that he was going to suffer on our behalf, and he said, if there's any other way, Lord, take it away. And so I want us to start off, as, as we think about suffering and the call that we should, as Christ followers, also suffer I want us to remember that that it's not suffering for suffering's sake. We're not called to suffering because suffering is great. We're not called to suffering because we love suffering. But but God calls us to share in suffering because he's about something greater, for for a greater reason, a greater purpose, the the joy of of that perfection and that redemption, that salvation that we're all looking forward to, where where all things are made right. The, The other thing I want us to think about is what Paul said in Philippians 1. In Philippians 1, Paul was talking about some of the struggles he was, he was struggling with, being a prisoner. And he said, I, I would much rather go on and die and be in heaven. But I feel that God has called me to stay and to continue the fight and to continue to struggle, to continue to suffer for your sakes. And that's really where we find ourselves too. And I think it's important as Christians that we think through that honestly and logically. That if we really believe that we look forward to this place where there's no more tears and no more pain, of course we'd rather be there. Most of us don't really feel that. Most of us really feel we've got to cling to this life with everything we've got. And what ends up happening is when you cling to this life with everything you've got, you're not really of much use to anyone. I mean, Jesus said you've got to lose your life to find it. You've got to be willing to give yourself away, to be of any purpose, to be of any blessing, to really be able to love anyone. And so we need to keep all of these things in perspective that, of course, we'd rather, of course we'd rather be beyond suffering. Of course, we'd rather, rather move beyond that and we'd rather be at the end when everything's made right. That place, that time called heaven, when everything is perfect, when God has reconciled everything and fixed everything, there's no more tears, there's no more sickness, there's no more pain, there's no more broken relationships. Yes, that's what we want. But God calls us and, and Paul calls Timothy to join with him in the fight. To continue the struggle now to bring that, to spread that joy that we look forward to, to spread that to other people. And that's really then what, what Paul is calling Timothy to, and what Jesus calls us to, to share in his suffering, to join with him in this work. And, and I also want to throw out the idea that suffering can, can be this huge spectrum, right? I mean, you can suffer shame and embarrassment, which is some of the language we're going to see in 2 Timothy. You can just be embarrassed to be a Christian. That's, that's a type of suffering. Or you can bleed and die and be persecuted. That's what we see in a lot of other countries. In our country, you don't see a lot of that kind of persecution. And in Hebrews 12, uh, the author says that, that you haven't yet suffered to the point of shedding your blood in your struggle against sin. So we've got to keep it in perspective. We may, we may suffer embarrassment. We may suffer shame. Uh, but most of us haven't suffered to the point of shedding our blood. So, so relatively speaking, we, we've got it pretty easy here where we are. So God calls us to join with him in suffering and giving our lives away for the purpose of the gospel, for the love of others, for the joy of all people. So let's read 2 Timothy. We're in chapter 1. We're going to read verses 8 through 18. Verses 8 through 18. Therefore, Timothy, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service that he rendered at Ephesus. Let's pray and ask the Lord to uh, to teach us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. And we believe that, that you can use it to change us. We pray that your spirit would join with us this morning, that it would overtake what we're doing and open our eyes and our hearts to hear this. Lord, you know that we resist suffering and we don't want any more pain. We don't want any more tears. We want this to all be done and finished and everything to be perfect. Lord, to pray that you would help us to continue in the fight, to continue in the struggle of this side of, of perfection, this side of heaven, and that you would use us for your glory. Pray that you transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I still remember uh, very clearly, very vividly when, when I was 17 years old, and, and I was faced with this similar call. Um, I, I, I've told you before, I feel like I have a lot in common with Timothy, kind of timid, kind of shy, um, kind of reserved, and, and uh, sometimes not, not, as, uh, not as eager to join in the fight maybe as, uh, as I should be. And so I've needed a lot of encouragement over the years as, as I've been in ministry in different positions at different churches. I've needed people to come alongside me and encourage me similarly to how Paul has encouraged Timothy. He said, keep, keep going, keep fighting, keep, keep at it, keep struggling. And, and I remember this, this feeling, this sense of of somewhat being ashamed of the gospel, being ashamed of who God was and what he had done for me, and not really wanting to, to be one of those weird Christian people that lived his life differently because of the gospel. I didn't really want to, to be different and stand out. I just wanted to blend in. But I remember being at a camp when I was 17 years old, and, and the gospel being so vividly portrayed and being... Becoming so real to me that I could no longer resist it anymore. I became overwhelmed with it, and I still remember praying and telling the Lord, "Okay, I will follow you wherever you tell me to go. Okay, God, you've got me. I understand. I see what you've done for me. I see that you gave your Son for me. I understand how much you love me. That you purchased my life with your own blood. And I remember at that point recognizing that fully, really embracing it for the first time, and. And as, as an immature 17-year-old thinking, well, this is really going to ruin my life. Now, now I'm going to be a loser, you know? Now, now I'm not going to get to be at all the keg parties and, and have all the girlfriends and do all these things that, that I thought a senior in high school should do, but now I'm going to be marked. Now my life is going to be different. Now I've got this wholly different sort of calling on my life, and it's, it's going to kind of ruin all the fun. Um, and so struggling with that, that willingness to suffer, in a sense, I'll, I'll go anywhere you want me to go, God. I'll do whatever you call me to do, but also still that sense of shame. And I don't know where you are right now. I don't know where God has you, what kind of call he has on your life. As I said, I think as Americans, often, often the call to suffer is really just a call to not be shamed anymore, to be willing to stand out, to just be willing to follow God into uncomfortable situations, to be willing to obey him and, and to stand out and to be holy and live a, a different kind of life, a life of self-sacrifice. Not many of you are probably called to shed your blood, like it talks about in Hebrews 12. Not many of us have had that degree of call, that degree of suffering uh, imposed on our life. I don't know where you are, but I know you know. I know that you have that call, that question in the back of your mind and in your heart, that tug from God. And I want to challenge you this morning the way that Paul is, is challenging Timothy, the way that God has challenged me and continues to challenge me now. I want to challenge you to share in the suffering. To, to follow the footsteps of our Savior who suffered for us. To follow the footsteps of Paul the Apostle who was willing to suffer for this gospel. Again, it, it, may, not, it may not be a call to, to give up your life, to bleed, but God may just be calling you to something very uncomfortable. And I don't know what that thing is that he's calling you to, but I encourage you to accept the challenge. To accept that call and to tell him, yes, I, I see that you are worth it, God. That you're worth it, that I will follow you. And I, and I think no matter where you're at, if it's little baby steps or if it's something really huge and, and immense, no matter what it is, that as you begin to step out in faith following Him, y- your life will, will be transformed. And you will not regret it. There, there may be pain. There may be points in your life where like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, you're saying, God, let this cup pass from me. I don't know if I can handle this. But but God will strengthen you. He'll, he'll help you to make it through, And that's what I want to encourage you with this morning, the, the first thing that we see is as Paul is motivating Timothy to suffer and to join with him in the suffering, to share with him and to not be ashamed and not to shrink back, is is just the beauty of the gospel itself. The first thing that we see is that we should suffer for the gospel. There's a lot of things that we're willing to suffer for, right? There's a lot of things that you're willing to pay a price for, that you're willing to sacrifice for, you're willing to struggle for. Um, you may be willing to struggle and sacrifice for the sake of your family. You may be willing to struggle and sacrifice. For the sake of your job or for the sake of of some friends. Paul tells Timothy here that the ultimate, greatest, and highest reason to suffer and to sacrifice is for the gospel itself. Not just because of what the gospel has done for us, but also to share that then with other people. It starts at the beginning in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. For the gospel. By the power of God. And now he goes to explain all of it. What, what is this gospel? What is this good news? The word literally means good news. What is this good news? What is this good message? Verse 9 says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. It's not because of anything that we've done. The gospel is a message of grace, of, of goodness, of what God has given to us. It's not a message of what we've given to God. Every other religion in the world is a message of what you can do for God. How many steps you need to achieve to impress God, to show God that you're worthy, to buy off God so that he'll bless you and give you a good life? But the gospel says that God blessed you first, that God came after you. You were a rebel. You turned the other way. You said, I don't need God. I don't want you. I don't want to do life with you, God. I want to do life on my own. The gospel says That God gave you his grace. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. The gospel is very God-centered. It's God's goodness to man, so at that level it's man-centered, but it's God-centered because it's by God's purpose. It's because of God's grace. It's because of his goodness. It's because of his delight in us. It's because of his love for us. And it says, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This gospel is so God-centered. It's so wrapped up and based in His purpose, in His grace, and His goodness to us, that He gave it to us before time began. And of course, we can't really understand that, right? Because we are in time. We are creatures of time. So, if, so of course, we can't really understand what that means that God stands outside of time, how He can do something before time began. But it's important to, to rest in this. This is something that should give us strength. Uh, this, is, this is often called the doctrine of election or predestination, that God chooses people, that God loves people before time began. And what often happens with doctrine, which is kind of ironic, we, we take doctrine and we, we make it a reason to argue and a reason to wonder, well, is God really good? Well, if God did that, then maybe that means he's doing this. And if God is... Loving people before time began. Well, then am I really responsible? And does God really love me? And can I really trust him? And that, that sounds kind of weird to me. You know, and we, we run off on these rabbit trails trying to philosophically unwind how he can stand outside of time and, and love us and call us and woo us before time even begins. And you know what? The, the Bible doesn't really explain all that for us. But, but it, it, it gives us the strength. It gives us this God who, who has good purposes towards us, who loves us, and whose love goes beyond before time even began. That's something that should give us strength. Do I understand how all that works? No, I don't understand how all that works. But but I don't have to understand all of that to trust God. To understand that God's got purposes of, of good and grace and love for me in my life. Even if I can't unwind all of the philosophy and all the mechanics of how God can do that and how God can love me and, and call me... and. Somehow I'm still responsible for everything. How does that work together? I I don't fully understand how that all works together. But but the Bible tells us that that God is above and beyond and that He is sovereign, that He's God, and that, yes, He is in control of all things, and that He loves us. And that He uses that power. He uses that sovereignty, that control of the universe to love you. That's what He uses that absolute power for, to, to have good purposes for you to extend grace towards you. it says, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And verse 10 says, now joins it with time. Now it enters into space and time in verse 10, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. And so now he goes, before time began, we had Jesus. And it's manifested in space and time through this Jesus that we know that was born in a baby. We celebrate at Christmas time. He was, he was born as a baby in Bethlehem. And he, he entered space and time. He lived as a human. He died on, on the cross for us. He, he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live as an Israelite in the first century. And then he died this, this death on the cross that he didn't deserve to die to take our place. To give us his righteousness. And, and to take our sin. All of that are his good purposes. And somehow some of that happened before time began. Again, we we can't make sense of that, but it was manifested. It was displayed. He broke onto the scene in space and time where where you and I live. He broke in. We've talked about this word before. This this uh, appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. This is a word that was used for gods that or heroes or, or rescuers that would kind of blow in into the scene. They would kick the door open and rescue someone who would appear at just the right time or appear in some fantastic way. Well, that's what happened with Jesus. He appeared in space and time. He kicked in the door and he came to rescue us. And so we see him entering into space and time, coming, living as a man, living a perfect life so that he can give us his righteousness and dying a death that he didn't deserve so he could take our sin on himself. You see, as Christians, not only do we have mercy that God has has withheld his wrath and put it on Jesus. But we also have grace. He's given us his son's righteousness. Grace is the unmerited favor, the righteousness that God gives us through his son. So that when he sees you, by faith, you are his perfect daughter, you are his perfect son. He sees you as as acceptable and as righteous as Jesus Christ himself. He's delighted in you. Again, he, he operates outside of time, and we don't understand how it all works, but somehow He sees you now as perfect and as complete and as glorified as you will be someday. You, you look forward to this day when, when you won't struggle with sin anymore, when you won't let people down anymore, when, when everything will be made right. We look forward to that day, that heaven, when everything is perfect. And God looks at you now as His perfect child. He sees you complete through Christ. He sees you through Christ's own righteousness. It says also that he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through that same gospel. He abolished death. That's the thing that should give us strength. When we face suffering, whether it's just shame and embarrassment, or it's all the way to bleeding and dying, death has no power over us anymore. Yes, we will physically die, but Jesus' resurrection promises us that we will live beyond the grave. That by faith in him we can conquer death. And that disarms, as it says in Corinthians, disarms the sting of death. Where, oh death, is your stinger? Where is your pain? It's gone now. It's been disarmed. Because Jesus has abolished death through the cross. We don't have to be afraid of it anymore. We know that we look forward to something better than what we have now. I found a picture of some gold coins because what I think ultimately this is telling us is that whatever you treasure is the thing that you're going to suffer for. And Paul is saying the ultimate treasure is the gospel. The ultimate gold, the ultimate riches is the gospel. And he'll go on in the next section to talk about it as a deposit, as a a treasure, as some kind of uh, safety deposit you've got to keep and guard and protect, a family heirloom. And I want to ask you, what is it that you really ultimately treasure? What is gold to you? What is ultimate value to you? And chances are you can kind of work yourself backwards into this, understand what it is that you treasure most by by asking yourself the question, what is it that I'm willing to suffer for? What am I really willing to suffer for in life? What am I willing to face struggle and pain and sacrifice for? And generally those are the things that you value most. Those are the things that you see most important. That's the thing that, that often becomes our functional savior, whether it's prestige or, or popularity or uh, people thinking well of you or having good relationships, with your family, your kids. I mean, it, it, it can always be good things like it talks about in, in Romans 1. We exchange the, uh, the created things for the creator. We take these good things, these gifts of God, and we begin to sacrifice for them and make them ultimate instead of the creator himself. Reason backwards in your own heart, in your own mind, what is it that I'm willing to suffer for, and is that really ultimate? Is that really what's going to buy me security and, and salvation and safety? Or should I be more willing to suffer for the gospel itself because of who God is, because of his character that I can trust? The next thing that we see is that we can suffer by the Holy Spirit. That we're not just on our own. This is not just a call to just be tough and just do it. Uh, This is a call to suffer by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the the gospel actually working itself out in your life. Verse 8 says, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then we skip down to verse 11. We get this section where he shows us that Paul says, I I trust in God. I know who I believe. I trust in Him. And that's why I can suffer, because He empowers me. Verse 11 says, For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. So Paul's saying, I was appointed. I was called into this business. I was made a teacher, a preacher, a herald, someone that would proclaim about this, an apostle, someone that would bring this message, this gospel to other people. And he says, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So this treasure that's been entrusted to Paul, this gospel, this ministry of the gospel, he says, I know whom I've believed, and I trust him. And he's able to keep it. He's able to guard it. Paul doesn't always know about himself, but he he knows the Savior can do it. He knows the Savior is, is trustworthy. He can guard it. He can keep it. And that's why he's not ashamed. You see, we don't, we don't suffer because we say, hey, I'm tough, I can handle it. We suffer because we know our Savior can, can pull us through, can get us through to the other side. He says in verse 13, now this is how you guard this deposit. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That's how it's going to be guarded. He says, I know my God is able to guard it and able to protect it. So Timothy, because God's able to protect it, because God's able to guard it, Timothy, stick to the sound words. Protect it. Guard this gospel. We remember from Titus, if you're with us during that time, we kept coming to this word sound again and again. It's this idea of healthy. There are words that bring life and health in a church, and there are words that don't. There are words that bind people. The gospel is something that brings life. The gospel says, God loves you, therefore obey. Legalism says, obey, so that God will love you. Those are two different messages. Every other religion in the world says, obey, and you'll impress God. Obey, and then God will owe you something. Obey, and then God will have to bless you. He'll owe you one then. But the gospel says, God has already blessed you. We live a life of obedience. We live a life of sacrifice. We're willing to share in suffering because of what he's given to us, because of what he's already done for us. Guard those sound words, those words that bring health and life to the church. He says, protect it. Guard it. These words you've heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, he says. In verse 14, he comes back again to this idea of, of guarding it by saying, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit and trust it to you. So he starts off saying, I know the one I've believed. I know he is able to guard it. And he ends up saying, so Timothy, guard it with the help of him, the one who's able to guard it, by the help of the Holy Spirit. Timothy, guard this good deposit. Guard this treasure of the gospel that you've been given. Paul says, I know he's trustworthy, and I know he's able to keep it, so I know we can keep it. I know we can do our job, because God is ultimately doing that job through us. The the Holy Spirit indwells us. It empowers us. It's this force that strengthens us to complete the task that he's called us to do. And so some of us may think, because we grew up in the 80s, or at least I did, um, we may think of this, when you think of this power and this force that strengthens you to, to suffer, to carry out what God calls you to. I don't know if you can see it. That's an X-wing fighter for those of you that are not Star Wars geeks. Uh, but there's this line right before Luke has, you know, has the big victory at the end of the first Star Wars movie where Obi-Wan Kenobi says, Luke, use the force, right? Remember that? And often that's how we think of God's power moving through us. We, we think about like this mystic force that floats in and around everything. And, and we get that idea also from other Eastern religions that there's this kind of power. You know, God is kind of in everything and through everything. And this power is all kind of linked together. And I just want to help you to understand that, yes, it is an incredible power. It is an incredible force. But there's something different here because this is a person that we trust. This God is a person. This God is not just blended in with everything else. It's important that we maintain, like it talks about in Romans 1, that that distinction between creation and creator. And, and the creator is a person. He's not just the same thing as creation. Yeah, we see his power, and we're amazed at him when we look at creation. We feel God's presence. We see his fingerprints when we look at creation, and creation should draw us in to worship him. We should be amazed at God when we look at creation. We, could, we should be able to feel Him in nature. But, but He's a person. He's not just some mystic force. He's a person. Paul says, I know the one I've believed. I know Him. He's, he's trustworthy. I trust Him. He's able to keep this. He's able to make it work. I, tr- I trust in Him by this Holy Spirit that dwells in you, Timothy. Guard the good deposit. Be faithful. Keep fighting. Keep going because we trust Him. He's someone that we can trust. He says it in, in verse 13, this, these sound words that you heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He, he loves us. Faith, faith is a trust. It's a personal relationship. It's not just our interaction with some magical force. But it's trusting in God. That He really has our good in mind. Like we talked about earlier when we looked at the, the, this you know, weird doctrine and these strange things of God working outside of time and loving us and calling us and being sovereign, those are things that should woo us towards Him so that we should be amazed at Him and we should say, He is all powerful and He uses all that power to love us. And that should draw us to have faith, literally trust in Him, in the person of God, knowing that that Spirit indwells us. He comes to live inside us and He will help us do what He calls us to do. Well, the last thing that we see is that all of this actually makes a difference. That, that we are to suffer to refresh others. That we have a, pers- a, a purpose beyond ourselves. That we have a purpose to help other people. And he, he, we, we pick this up in just some... there are almost like throwaway comments that Paul seems to be making. He's talking about some guys that, that helped him and guys that didn't help him. But we get this in verse 15 through uh, 18. He says, You're aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. He's like, Timothy, that, this is real. This makes a difference in people's lives. Timothy, I'm calling you to share in suffering and not to be ashamed of me because I need you, Timothy. You know that everybody else in Asia has turned away from me now, among whom are Phigelus and Hermogenes. He even names names. These guys betrayed me. They left me. They've hurt me. So, Timothy, I need you. Verse 16, he says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me, and he was not ashamed of my chains. See, there there are some in life that help us and there are some in life that hurt us. Some betray us. I know many of you, all of you, have been hurt and betrayed by people. It makes a difference what people do. Yes, our our faith is in a God that stands beyond time. and, And we can't always understand that. And He is awesome and He is sovereign. And His purposes of grace should move us to actually make a difference in real people's lives. And that's what Paul's talking about here. It says for us, refresh me. He wasn't ashamed of my chains. It says in verse 17, when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. He struggled to find me. Paul's locked away in some dungeon. I don't think the Roman centurions make it real easy. I don't think they're keeping real good, you know, records. Oh yeah, sure, you want to come visit your friend in the dungeon? Right here. Here he is, you know. You want some coffee? They don't make it real easy. He's locked away in some dungeon. Nobody cares where and Finally, he finds him, and he refreshes him. He encourages him. Verse 18 says, May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. The last little aside there. and Oh yeah, Timothy, you, you already know he's done this for you as well. Timothy's pastoring in Ephesus. It says, you already know all the service he gave, all the sacrifice he made in Ephesus. Well, he's done that for me too. This word refresh that it uses here, Literally means to bring the breath back. It's this word that the second wind would be kind of the way we might say it. Bringing breath back to someone. Bringing life. Giving someone their soul back. And it reminded me of a friend I have whose, whose child, whenever he would get really hurt or he would have a temper tantrum, he would hold his breath. And he would hold his breath until he actually passed out. Have you all ever heard of this? Like kids do this apparently. I looked it up online, you know, one of those like WebMD kind of things. I said, usually kids grow out of it, so don't worry too much. But they hold their breath, and eventually, you know, oxygen depletion, you just pass out. But what's really cool is your body knows to breathe better than you do. So as soon as you you zonk out, then you start breathing again, and and everything's okay. And and you're refreshed, and you get your wind back. We've got to breathe to have life. We need oxygen to survive. And and Paul is saying, there are people that betrayed me, and there are people that gave me my breath back. They're people that refresh me, that give me life. And my question this morning is, is, which are we? Or who are we? I don't know how to say that. Which one are we? Are we the kind that bring refreshment? Or are we the kind that, that suck the life out of the room, that suck the oxygen out of the room? Or are we the kind that take from people or give to people? In this call to suffer, it's a call to, to refresh others, to actually make a difference in other people's lives. This gospel, this glorious God that actually loves us and moves towards us in Christ Jesus, that should actually shape us and move us and change us so that we would be refreshing to other people. Are you the kind of person that brings joy and delight to people when you walk in the room? Or do people kind of like, oh, here they come again. <laughs> like, oh. Is that like, oh no, here they are. I mean, what, what do you bring? Do you bring refreshment? Are you an encourager? bring life. As followers of Christ, we we live in a broken world where we're we're often struggling for oxygen ourselves, right? I mean, I know some of you are struggling against terrible things that that I don't even begin to understand. Some of you with with diseases that that cause you to have constant pain. Some of you with broken relationships that that have put your lives into turmoil. And, And I know that you long to be refreshed yourself. And the gospel message is that we have a God that that pursues us, that comes after us to refresh us himself. He joined in the suffering that we live in. And he calls us to join with him. To continue the fight. To stay in this suffering. To not give up and check out. But to suffer with him. To share in this suffering to make a difference. To to bless other people. And that's his call on us. It would be a part of what he's doing in the world. As we conclude, I was thinking about... um, Really just something that happened the other night. My son was sick, I guess, the night before. He's still sick, but my wife and him are at home right now. Um, but had a really bad asthma attack and throwing up and you know, fever and all this, this stuff in the middle of the night. So, so I'm up in the middle of the night. I'm sleeping on his you know, floor to make sure he's actually breathing you know, so I can listen to him and um, making sure everything is okay. But as a father, um, I'm, I'm glad to do that. Y- yes, it hurt for my arm to fall asleep sleeping on the floor. And, and, and yes, I was tired all day yesterday because I'd been up all night with him. But still I rejoiced to suffer with him because I love him. And that's the message of the gospel, that we have a God that actually loves us, that, that he wants to suffer for us. And he manifested that in, in space and time through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ appeared on the scene to kick the door in and to rescue us, to suffer for us. Because we have a Heavenly Father that loves us and that counts it a joy to suffer for us and calls us to suffer as He does for the sake of others. Let's pray. Father, thank You uh, that You're the God that suffers for us. I pray that You would help us to be different because of that. I pray that You would empower us by Your Spirit to, to share in that suffering, to be a blessing to others. We thank you. Thank you for giving yourself for us, we pray in Jesus.